he smells like he's just been making out with Joe Rogan's asshole. Hello, welcome to 10 Cent Takes, the podcast where we explore the murky depths of comics controversy, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I'm joined by my co-host, the underwater underdog himself, Mike Thompson. I do enjoy unusually long showers. <laughs> yes, that makes you aquatic. I agree. Sure, why not? <laughs> Well, the purpose of this podcast is to study comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. If you're enjoying the show so far and want to help us grow, it'd be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Good Pods, because that really helps with discoverability. Friendly reminder, we've pulled our content off of Spotify, given how the platform is continuing to actively promote voices spreading vaccine disinformation. Period. I gotta say, I have been living for how Spotify's stock price has basically lost over half of its value in the past month. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) not even a little so mike we are recording this on march 11th 2022 what is that day oh oh that's that's our is it our anniversary or our birthday i I don't know how to describe it let's call it our birthday this is the day it was published this was the day that we made entry into the world everyone yeah, that was really exciting where i realized that we were going to be recording an episode on on our podcast birthday yeah, I know you told me and I got really excited. I kind of forgot. It's like I knew it was coming up. <laughs> yeah, it's a little surreal to realize that we have come this far considering that we had no idea what we were doing when we started all this. Yeah, back when we were just a wee infant podcast and now we're what? Are we are one-year-olds considered toddlers? Are we still babies just not infants? Like what life cycle are we in at this point in our <laughs> I don't know, like what's <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're it's kind of doing it in dog ears because, you know, the, the learning curve is so extreme. I was wondering if that was the case. <laughs> and you know what, listeners? I just want to say that we appreciate you so much. We have over 2,300 downloads at this point. That is all because of you. And sincerely, sincerely, from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate you. Yeah, the community that we have become a part of and gotten to continue to help grow has really been amazing and the interactions that we're getting these days on social media are really lovely and we're profoundly grateful for it yeah so we hope you keep tuning in because we love you so (laughs) just don't make it weird no please don't make it weird (laughs) i don't need any more weirdness in my life it's enough (laughs) because our main topic today (laughs) We are taking to the seas, and we are doing a fun little compare and contrast between a pair of aquatic characters with eerily similar traits. Now, we are going to split this into a two-parter, 
and we are going to first cover, for today's episode, Marvel's Namor the Submariner. And then in two weeks, we will be covering DC's Aquaman. And when we cover Aquaman, we are going to be talking about how the two are similar, how they're different, do a little compare and contrast, who we like better. It'll be a whole popularity contest. (laughs) Hashtag Team Aquaman. I mean, we're already Team Aquaman. I mean. (laughs) Spoiler alert, everyone, this is going to be an episode. (laughs) So the reason that we're taking this deep dive into these two aquatic characters is because I recently found some collections at a comic book store in Salem, Massachusetts, and it was the full run of the 12-issue limited series, uh, The Saga of the Submariner, but I also found a run of Aquaman, and I was like, wait a second, these fuckers look so similar, I need to go down this rabbit hole, and I just knew that I had to compare and contrast these two. So... Mike, before we dive deep into this main topic of ours, what is one cool thing that you have read or watched recently? So one of the books on my pull list right now at Brian's Comics is The Blue Flame by Vault Comics. It's written by Christopher Cantwell, and it has art by Adam Gorham and Kurt Michael Russell. The core concept of the series is that there's this group of, you know, in quotes, real world superheroes in Milwaukee, and they're they're basically kind of controversial DIY vigilantes, and they are gunned down in a mass shooting at a public event. And the lone survivor of the group is Sam, who is also known as the Blue Flame. And then from this event, you get two stories unfolding. One of them is we watch Sam struggling to overcome the physical and mental trauma you know, in the aftermath of the shooting, because he's got some serious PTSD and substance abuse issues to deal with. And then the other is this space opera where he finds himself defending all of mankind in this cosmic trial, but the rest of mankind doesn't know about it. It's one of those things where you're not sure if one of the stories is actually happening or if it's in his head, but it's just really good. And the characters are so well written and the art style changes between these two stories in a way that's really cool so i really recommend picking this up basically most of the local comic shops have been singing its praises i became aware of it because cape and cowl one of the shops in oakland did a custom variant cover that was an homage to one of the classic 90s green lantern covers and i wound up picking it up and it's a blast so really really recommend this one that sounds awesome it's really good it's it's unlike anything else out there right now I love those ones where you're questioning reality. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's going to be a great twist to like, you know, at some point throughout this. So I'm waiting for that. But we're about we're about seven issues in. So I think there may be a trade available that you can pick up at this point. But yeah, that's what I've been reading lately. How about you? Well, my friend that I have mentioned before and avid listener of the podcast, Noelle. Hey, friend. She gave me a graphic novel series by Holly Black, and Holly Black wrote the Spiderwick Chronicles. Oh, okay. Like, I, I saw the movie of that. Yeah. I've, I feel like I've read a little bit of the Spiderwick Chronicles, but there are several books, and I have not read all of them. And it's illustrated by Ted Naifa, 
and it's called The Good Neighbors. And it's really good so far. I'm only part of the way through book one titled Kin. The art style is this beautiful grayscale, and it's really detailed, like almost lifelike drawing. But it's also a fantasy type story, and it's done in such a way where the fae and other non-human creatures are blending into large crowds of people in many of the frames, or they're just kind of like off to the side where it's like, you only notice them if you're looking at the details of the shots. It's it's really interesting. So, and the story itself has is, is been super fascinating from the very beginning. So I'm very interested to see where this heads. That's really cool. Yeah. And as always, we are now featuring promos from other podcasts out there that we feel like you should be listening to. We have built up this really great support community with a number of other shows, and we want to help them grow just like they've helped us. So enjoy these promos and then check them out if they sound fun to you. On this week's edition of For the Trees. Hi, my name is Amir Khan. I'm the author of Speedboat Race. Amir dropped by in person to chat about his new book, The story is about a speedboat racer that is trying to overcome many obstacles prior to the championship race. How a sixth grade writing assignment tucked away in his parents' safe became a book and a lesson for today's children. And I hope that will inspire those that are in the communities and elsewhere. You can get the whole story on episode 15 of For the Trees on your favorite podcast player. And you can find Speedboat Race on Amazon. Well, I I don't think we can delay it any further, Mike. I, sure about this? Like, well, we I, could just send the episode now. We but could. We, we say that a lot, but we don't ever follow through. <laughs> now, on to our main topic, where we are going to be plunging deep into the history, power, and media appearances of Marvel's Namor, the Submariner. We'll also discuss a run of his comics from the '80s and an animated Submariner TV series from the 60s. Dun, dun, dun! Yeah, it's more that vibe. You're right. I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to make it cool. Guys, it's not going to be cool. It's really not. <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, as always, at the top, I want to list my resources. So if if you don't have access to the particular run of comics that we're going to be reading today, or if you can't find them online, The Mary Marvelite on YouTube did an incredibly thorough breakdown of the run of the saga of the Submariner, which is the 12-issue run that we read for this episode. And the YouTube video is called The Origin of Marvel's Atlantis and Namor the Submariner. I also used the Submariner character profile on Marvel.com, CBR.com article, Comic Legends, How Close Did We Come to a Namor TV Show in the 1950s? The IMDb Information on the Submariner Animated Series, YouTube Video by User The Cosmic Wonder Tile, Namor in the MCU Confirmed. I'm uh, okay. Like Ooh. I'm really Ooh. like I love how like there are all these videos out there where they're like so and so is confirmed in the MCU and I'm like are they are they really well, like, okay you're well, yeah. We'll get to it. We'll get into it a little bit later, and, and we'll see if your skepticism has diminished at all. I mean, <laughs> I don't think my ennui about the character will have. Oh, I mean, you may still hate him, but that doesn't mean he's not going to show up, Mike. <laughs> 
Okay. Wouldn't that be great if people you hated just didn't show up? (laughs) The world would be a different place. Middle school would have been a totally different experience for me. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So Marvel's Namor the Submariner. So this dude first appeared in Marvel Comics number one. It was written by Bill Everett in 1939 and created for and published in Motion Pictures Funny Weekly. But it apparently wasn't widely circulated. Everett then reused that shit. Because why reinvent the wheel? Honestly, why? Hmm. He ended up writing an origin story for the character and included the Human Torch, the Angel, and Kazar. And this became a best-selling new title, having changed its name to Marvel Mystery Comics. And for the record, Namor, which, fun fact, is Roman spelled backwards, was the OG superhero underwater. I'm a little mad I never actually noticed that about his name. Because, I mean... (sighs) The whole vibe for Atlantis is super Greco-Roman. Absolutely. Neptune rolls in. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Okay, so the, the republishing of the Namor story was basically, it was under Timely Comics, which then eventually through, you know, rights acquisitions and things like that would go to Marvel, but I think first would go to Atlas Comics, right? Yes. Yeah, it was Atlas Comics yeah. and then it went to Marvel. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean a lot, because this shit is involved, about Namor's origins and the lore around Marvel's version of Atlantis. And I'm going to level with you. This next part is effectively a breakdown of the first few issues of the saga of the Submariner, which captures Namor's origin story in incredible detail. And this is the run that we did read from 1988 for this episode. This is the series that I think ultimately led to Namor having his own ongoing series in the 90s. That makes a lot of sense. Which I don't remember being especially good. I, I would get it as part of like those Costco packs of comic books. And every time I read it, I really did not care. I was like, I don't, I don't really know anything about this. I don't care. The one from the 90s, all the covers look like they need to have some word in there that starts with an X. Oh, yeah. They did a whole rebranding of it because that 90s series was originally drawn by John Byrne, the guy who yes. you know, uh-huh. had kind of celebrated runs with Superman and the X-Men. And, and then they swapped it over to this artist named Jay Lee. And Jay Lee has this really different style. It's really cool, but it's... um. I don't quite know how to describe it other than it feels much more raw as opposed to Burns' very polished stuff. Mm. And I think the book where Jay Lee took over, they give Namor a new costume and it's got like a chrome holofoil cover. Fucking of course it did. I, I should probably pick up a copy of that. <laughs> Jeez, of course you should. <laughs> it's got a holo cover. You need it. <laughs> I don't think you understand my deep and passionate love for holofoil covers. I love that beautiful 90s trash. Listeners, if you don't already know this, you'll catch on quick because this is a hot topic for Mike. We talk about hollow covers and gimmick covers almost every episode, I would say. I love them so much. They're so dumb. He loves them. (laughs) They're so dumb. Well, you've got me looking for them now, too. (laughs) And I haven't picked any up, but I have the Deathmate ones that you gave me. God. 
So now the ache's there. (laughs) (laughs) This is the problem, friends. I now have like four freaking short boxes. (laughs) How did this happen? Last I reported, I had three. (laughs) It hasn't been that long. I think I'm up to 22, maybe more. I don't know. (laughs) I have a garage that I can throw them in and pretend they don't exist. I live in an eight by 30 foot space. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any room for these four long boxes. They live in my bathroom, if we're being honest. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) We should get off the land and dive into the sea. And yeah, thank you (laughs) for that segue, because we're going to go back and back and back. We need to go back 20 millennia, in fact, if we are going to start this adventure in Namor's Atlantis. Because there existed this 20 millennia ago, two different respective civilizations on Earth. They were, and, and this is on land, by the way. So they were Atlantis, and this contained prehistoric humans, and Lemuria, with its race of people, the Deviants, who were the creation of the Celestials, who are the most powerful beings in the universe. And they basically were like test subjects that they let go onto the Earth, that the Celestials were like, oh, nothing happened to them, they're fine. Then they were like imbued by this weird force, basically, or like the, basically the genetic ability to adapt and mutate more readily Mm -hmm. than the other beings on earth so that's cute so these test subjects either became the eternals who were godlike beings which we kind of don't care about too much for this story and the deviants who we will focus on who went on to create lemuria yeah (laughs) i mean the eternals mythology is so weird and complicated i yes i've read a couple of the eternal series and they're not bad like i liked them but my eyes start to glaze over when they start really going in depth about their origins and i just i don't care that was how i felt researching this whole namor situation <laughs> that was pretty much my response to the entire miniseries because it's all expository narration like that's the yeah. whole thing of this 12 issue series is it's recapping his adventures from like i don't know the 30s when he came about and then up until modern day yeah and these issues are just normal marvel issues from the 80s they're a normal size issue when you open them it feels like a fucking tome because yeah, it- it's so dense Yeah, it's just there's a lot of exposition. A lot. Yeah. So there again, that's why I'm giving you all of this. We read it so you don't have to. Should that be one of our taglines, Mike? Is it already? I mean, (laughs) we can add it to the list. We can add it to the slogans that were thrown on the T-shirt. Perfect. Yeah, who wants a T-shirt? Let us know. (laughs) All right. So let's get back to it. Good Lord. This is how I felt researching it. The Lemurians. They were assholes. And they subjugated humans, who in turn had their alchemists link up with the serpent men. Yes, folks, we're already getting into lizard people. And they band together and they created the Serpent Crown, which allowed the wearer to communicate with and hold the powers of the serpent elder god. 
Yeah, it's a whole thing like tied to Conan as well. There was recently a series called Battle for the Serpent Crown, and they go down to Atlantis at one point. It, so the whole Lemurian thing and all that, I think that all ties into the Hyborian Age, which is part of Conan's narrative, because in the 80s, Marvel still had the rights to Conan. They had they'd started the series in 1975, I think, and it was still ongoing because it lasted for 275 issues. And they also they tied Conan into the X-Men where they had one of his villains from Conan come in and take over New York. And then it was revealed that one of the X-Men characters, the Black Queen, had fought against him. So I think this was all kind of like weaving the Conan mythology into Marvel, sort of. Okay, no, that makes a lot of sense. Because I was like, where the fuck is this coming from when I was reading all of it? It's a lot (laughs) of like, kind of nonsense names. Yes, yes, absolutely. We're, we're going to get into more of them. So the human alchemist basically got stabbed in the back by the serpent men and the emperor, Fraug, who wanted that shit for himself. So the main alchemist and Fraug argued over the crown, but just then, literally, just then, what timing, the celestials roll back in from the skies, but the Lemurians were like, nah, thanks. We're hanging with this lizard god. Thanks, though. And then fired on the celestial ship, which, as you can imagine, did not go well. <laughs> it did not. And the celestials basically caused the first big cataclysm. Like, think dinosaurs going extinct era of things. And in the process, both Lemuria and Atlantis were sunk to the bottom of the ocean, taking with it their mostly unsuspecting people. Some fuckery. (laughs) So on the Atlantis side of things, by the way, Atlantis this whole time, doing their own thing. Successful civilization. Chillin'. (laughs) But as they sink to the bottom of the ocean... (laughs) It is said that Neptune himself gave the Atlanteans their gills and the ability to breathe underwater. That's one of the things that really irritated about me about this series is it's like, and then the amphibious people emerged and started like pouring over the wreckage of Atlantis. But where they came from, you know, it doesn't really matter. This is what the legend says, but we don't know. And I'm like, mm, that's just lazy writing. Come on, guys. It is lazy writing. It literally was like. We don't know, but we think it was this. What do you mean you think it was this? You wrote the damn thing. Right. (laughs) I hate to break it to you. This isn't actually like a historical record, guys, that you're like wondering about. You can just make shit up. It's fiction. I feel like the writer got bored while writing this part. And he was like, you know what? Fuck it. They just they figured it out. (laughs) Yeah. So here here is literally what it says. (laughs) Old legends say that Neptune, god of the oceans, bestowed upon them gills, which enabled them to breathe underwater. But legends are uncertain arbiters of truth. It matters not. They came. Okay. (laughs) It is a beautiful couple of sentences, but it still pissed me off. Oh, I mean, beautiful things can be hollow and empty. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You don't have to mean anything. Oh, my goodness. So apparently they get their gills, they get the ability to breathe underwater, and over time they evolved to have blue skin and, a pointed, and apparently pointed ears. Why not? Yeah, I mean, why not? You know, they're elves. They're, they're, yeah, they're underwater, they're underwater elves. elves. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently they are Homo Mermanus. <laughs> 
Come on, I cannot. So, and like you said, they didn't end up getting there right away. We don't know where they came from, but they eventually found Atlantis again, and then they built up a thriving civilization. But more underwater drama ensued, of course, and there was an offshoot of Atlanteans that left and ended up going to Lemuria and, like, building a civilization there, but then they were, like, affected by snake power, I guess, because the serpent crown was buried there, and they got all reptile-y. Yeah. (sighs) And then it turns out that the Deviants also got some underwater upgrades in their evolutionary journey, you know, another mystery. And they showed up, and other shit went down, and after more hubbub, the Lemurians got tired of being controlled by the dude who finds a serpent crown, which gets hidden in the Antarctic eventually, and cue the first time we get to see the magic potion allowing the underwater folks to breathe on land. Yeah, I think that was something that they did also with the Kree and the Skrulls from, you know, Captain Marvel, was that they had a, they had basically like a, a breathing potion that Captain Marvel, the original one, not Carol Danvers, had to, had to drink in order to like survive, you know, without wearing his like special breathing apparatus helmet. That makes a lot of sense. I, you know what, you gotta, you gotta hand it to Marvel. The little points of consistency throughout the series, it's chef's kiss. Yeah. So you can fuck up a lot, but when you put in the, when you put the little details in, you know, we appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of dig it. Yeah. So there's more drama with another dude who just had to wear the crown and was overtaken by its reptilian power and it ends up getting blown up and thought to be destroyed. So the Atlanteans end up having their shit destroyed again by a faction called the Skarka and they migrate to Antarctica and they create a new Atlantis in the ocean in Antarctica. There are a ton of other details that I've completely glazed over because we don't give a fuck about them for our story, okay? No, they're not important. Not at all. So Atlantis, chillin', right? In the Antarctic. For a very long time, just by itself, thriving. Until 1915, when a ship called the Endurance, which was a British exploration ship, which was after Vibranium, which evidently was in the area, sank. And in 1920, they sent another ship, the Oracle, to basically pick the wreckage for parts and equipment. It was then that shit changed for the Atlanteans because in an effort to go through an ice bank, Captain Leonard McKenzie decided to use TNT to do a little boom boom to let them through. And because Atlantis just can't seem to catch a motherfucking break, it caused major damage to the underwater city. Yeah, it's funny because whenever I saw Atlantis in a comic book, I was like, oh, why would they just build it as wreckage? And (laughs) over time I realized, they just stopped rebuilding because they just couldn't be bothered anymore. <laughs> it kept getting blown I mean, up. It makes a lot of it gets blown up a lot. Like it's constantly shit's falling down in this series. Mm-hmm. So yet again, Atlantis is under siege, but this time in their new home that had provided safety for so long. The king asked his daughter, Princess Fen to send a reconnaissance party to the surface, but she went herself instead and 
basically just goes on board and gets captured by the crew. And she allows herself to get captured, I should say, you know, for research. And then, of course, immediately, Princess Fen and the captain fall in love, like right then. Because why not? Because of course they do. Yeah, it's a... It's weird to read that scene, man. It is. It's like two side profiles looking at each other, and it's like, oh my god, <laughs> basically. Well, and then, I mean, we get the comic book equivalent of an 80s movie montage where he's like teaching her how to read and speak English, and then they get married, and there's actually, like, I was kind of surprised they have a sex scene in a 1980s Marvel comic book, and it's not graphic or anything, but you're like, there is no illusion about what is going on. Like, okay. No. It's like, but she was going to have fun before blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was like a whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) There's also this unsavory other passenger, Paul Destine, who had been there under the false pretenses of being there for the main mission, but was actually a telepath and looking for the legendary telepathic ancients that were rumored to be dwelling in the Arctic. So he was looking to find them. Princess Fen ends up going home one time, but like doesn't tell her dad she's going to stick around, which that's a whole thing. And she goes back to the surface and she doesn't tell Home Slice that she's an underwater person because, you know, when when's that going to come up? Which I mean, like, it's so weird. <laughs> so fucking like, it, weird. It, it Even make, though she's it makes blue. No sense. She's blue and they're like, she has hypothermia. Yeah, permanently now. She's just blue now from hypothermia. Like. She's not from the Appalachians. She's not from the one specific place where we know people are blue sometimes. But thank you for that. So yeah, like you said, she ends up marrying the captain. They they bone one time, you know. And then daddy shows up, drags her underwater, and like, the captain doesn't know what's going on, so he definitely thinks she drowned. And then he got shot, like, right before she went underwater. So she's like, well, he's dead. And that just is, the, that's just how it lands. That's just it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just violently shaking my head as I'm remembering all this bullshit. It was such bullshit. It was like, you built this up so much. And that's the resolution? That's your excuse for a resolution? Spoiler, everyone, if you haven't already figured it out, that's the vibe of this entire comic. So, meanwhile, Paul Destine goes looking for the ancient people on land, and he finds the bunker where the fucking serpent crown is. He ends up causing an avalanche because he's an impatient motherfucker who decides to just hack at the opening instead of thinking things through properly. (laughs) And everyone thinks he died, but he finds a serpent crown. I'm paraphrasing it that way on purpose. (laughs) We all know. But he's going to become someone called Destiny. And it's he's one of Namor's main foes that continually pops back into the picture down the road. So back underwater, many months later, Namor, by the way, that means avenging son, pops into the picture, much like we popped into the picture, being birthed into this world. Mm. <laughs> but our podcast wasn't birthed from a person. <laughs> no, I think, it, I think it was birthed by us sitting there and, and 
talking about dumb comic book storylines and then going, we should make a podcast. <laughs> yep, that sounds right. <laughs> what the fuck else are we going to do? It's the pandemic. <laughs> and here we are, friends. It's still the pandemic and we're still doing this. You're welcome. We were a year into the pandemic when we started this. Stop and think about that. I I very truly don't want to. I mean, the the start of the pandemic feels like last year. Well, yeah, but it also feels like a decade ago. I mean, <laughs> you're so right. I have this lovely stripe of gray hair now. I my beard is, like <laughs> has so much gray in it, and it did not at the start of the pandemic. I hear you. So, Namor was very obviously half human and half mer person because. He pops out of a blue mom, but he is a pink-ass motherfucker. He is human pink. Yeah. But he has pointy-ass ears. He's looking just like the rest of his underwater fam in that way. And he can breathe underwater. So, check. Which is good, because otherwise he would have died right away. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's that, again, that weird symmetry with the Kree, because the Kree, and I don't know when they established this. Like, I don't know when this officially became part of the Marvel canon. But the Kree eventually had two different versions of the Kree race. There's the blue skin and there's the pink skin. And I don't know the differences. Don't ask me. Like, I just know that that's a thing. So it's weird to see these similarities between the Atlanteans and the Kree. And maybe there's a connection there. Reach out to us. I don't know. I don't care that much about Namor or the Kree. So. <laughs> I was about to say, let us know. I'm interested. <laughs> I'm interested. Mike isn't. Okay. Mm. Just for the record. I care about your opinions and thoughts, friends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't. I work in customer service. It's basically a requirement that you're a sociopath. <laughs> the most ironic part of this is that you basically do our social media. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, fucking back to this motherfucker. Jesus Christ, I'm so distracted with this fucker. We can't stay on track with him. No, we really can't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we should have like a tally of how many times we've deviated in the episode. Nope. We would die if we played that drinking game. God, we're not playing a drinking game with it for sure. Okay, yeah. So it becomes clear that Namor has some extraordinary abilities outside of those of his fellow mer people. So let's talk a little bit more about those abilities. He is stronger. He is faster than a normal mer person. He is more impervious. And he's actually one of the first recorded mutants, which apparently is due to one of those genetic mutations from the Celestials, which is why I had to fucking bring them into it. Yeah, it becomes like a whole thing where... For a while, he's regarded as Marvel's first mutant. There were other mutants throughout history, like Apocalypse. But yeah, Namor was officially Marvel's first mutant for a long time. I swear. So later in his life, it's also accidentally discovered that he can breathe above water. And while he's out one time, some wing, some wigglings just pop out of his ankles. Like, whatever. Pop. Okay. Like... <laughs> it just happens. It's like it's like his version of puberty. Like he hit mm -hmm. puberty and like wings popped out of his ankles. God. And like, by the way, how the fuck does that hold up his weight? There are some tiny ass little wings. I don't know. I don't care. Like <laughs> he can carry people with them. How does that work? <laughs> I don't know, man. His bones aren't hollow. That's one of the only ways that works. I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're so over him. I'm Mike, so we have over him already. Go. No. Can we just we no. have to we have to, we're almost done with the comic part, Mike. I feel like I'm just dragging you through. I, I'm dragging me through this, to be fair. <laughs> like, okay, so you know how, like, Iggy, when you pick him up, he just goes boneless? Like, that, that yes. is me right now. I'm like that boneless toddler, and I'm like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's like when Carl would get really tired when we were on long walks, and he would just sit down. <laughs> just yeah. lay down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Twiggy does that. She stopped doing that with me because I drag her. Like, she's like, all right, fine. <laughs> She's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Dad's not oh, fucking goodness. around. Okay, so we need to talk about his weaknesses. Or his weakness, I should say. Which is that if he does not get into the water or touch water, I, I'm i not really sure how much of him needs to be wet. But he, like, goes fucking bananas. Mm-hmm. And he will start tearing shit up. And, like, at one point he loses his memory and he, like, doesn't regain it until he gets thrown into the ocean again. So that's cute. So apparently he just wasn't, like, showering or anything. Well, he, so he had, like, lost his memory or something and he was wandering around and then it was kind of compounding the effect. And then it's an issue of the Fantastic Four where Johnny Storm gets all pissed off and he goes to a flop house in New York, which I, I guess that was, like, what they used to do. Like if you didn't have the YMCA or cheap motels and then he, he realizes who Namor is really quick and then he drops him in the ocean and then Namor returns to Atlantis. But that's actually the first way that I got introduced to Namor was there's a what if issue. And the idea is what if Namor had joined the Fantastic Four where instead of making a beeline back for Atlantis, he instead pops out of the water and then ends up interacting with the Fantastic Four and joining them. It's actually, I think, a much better Namor story than a lot of the stuff that we read. Because it treats him like an actual three-dimensional character where he has believable emotions and depth. And hopefully he wasn't such a fucking creeper with Sue fucking Storm. No, it's actually really good. Robin Guido over at Dear Watchers did a really great episode talking about it. And Ooh. and it's, it's a really good issue. Unfortunately, it's not on Marvel Unlimited, but highly recommend checking it out if you can get your hands on it. I'll have to see if I can find it. I mean, better yet, I'll probably just go listen to Dear Watchers because I didn't realize they had done an episode on that. So that's rad. Yeah, no, it's a great episode. Yeah, they are definitely some of our podcast friends and you should go check them out because they have amazing content. Yeah, no, we we love them. We're, you know, we're we're good podcast neighbors because we occupy kind of like parallel niche podcast content. Yes, agreed. So let's talk about some of Namor's foes. Some of those include underwater dwellers like Atuma, who just wants to wreak havoc and take shit over. We have Krang, who's salty about Dorma, preferring Namor to his off-kilter ass. And on land, his main nemesis is Doctor Doom. So that's fun. I mean, that's a fun nemesis. Yeah, Doom's one of those guys where, you know, Reed Richards is his chief antagonist, but at the same time, like, you know, they're not exclusive. He fights around. I like that about him. Yeah, he keeps it open. Lots of communication between everyone, though. That's that's, what mo- that's, that's the what's key. most important. Yeah. That's the key to a healthy nemesis relationship. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Doom suddenly wearing an upside-down pineapple on his shirt. It's like, whoa, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> What is interesting about Namor, one thing that I do find interesting about him is that he does play this very 
anti-hero role where sometimes he's the good guy sometimes he's fighting against the good what we would consider the good guys so it's yeah. kind of back and forth what i like about him is he does have his own motivations yeah for all of these things and he definitely sticks to his motivations regardless of who that foe is at the moment <laughs> well and oftentimes he comes into conflict with marvel superheroes because he's acting on behalf of atlantis and he's pissed off at the surface world because we're a bunch of assholes and we keep on fucking up the oceans yeah yeah and that's actually a great segue i was just gonna say because throughout his career he ends up working with the x-men illuminati avengers and defenders and in one of his anti-hero moments he formed his own villainous group called the cabal his main love interest is the aforementioned dorma who is a fellow Atlantean royal with the classic Atlantean blue skin and bright red hair. And again, he also forms a weird motherfucking fixation on Susan Storm, which, again, I don't love. She tries to rebuff him, and he just does not take the hint, which I fucking hate that shit. Like, just take no. Yeah, it's interesting because he's kind of depicted as the counterpoint to Reed Richards, who is very measured and he's all about planning and thought and consideration before action. And Namor is always action before consideration. Yes. But the other thing is Namor is that that sexy bad boy in a Speedo with cheekbones so high that you need oxygen masks. And <laughs> they've played that for, I think, the entirety of Marvel's existence is that Sue Storm always has this sort of attraction to Namor. I don't know. I always felt like it was kind of forced, but whatever. Oh, what's funny is that you were talking about his like action before thoughtfulness. And I just pulled up the Marvel characters sheet on Marvel.com. So he has, I think this is out of 10. He has a six durability, a two energy, Mm -hmm. a four for fighting skills, a two for intelligence, (laughs) a three for speed. And a six for strength. It may be out of eight because it it actually looks like the four is a little bit above halfway. They don't really have a, I don't know what their grading system is. Okay, so it may be based off the old Marvel trading cards they used to do where they would rank it on a scale of seven. (gasps) A seven. Okay, that actually makes more sense. Okay, so yeah, out of seven. So, I mean, six of seven for durability, six of seven for strength actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because he like goes toe to toe with the Hulk. Yeah. I wonder if this is on land, because I feel like he'd have a higher speed than a three underwater. Am I yeah. wrong? Hold on. The intelligence I get. You're a solid two, my dude. Uh, let me look. Hold on. So is this on Marvel.com? <laughs> it's on Marvel.com. It's on his uh, character profile. Those are very handy, by the way. Yeah. It's a, he's 6'2". He's 278. His eyes are a blue-gray, <laughs> in case you were wondering. Imperious Rex. I never, I, we need to talk about Imperious Rex too. Oh yeah, that becomes his battle cry and it's so dumb. It's stupid. I hate it. So they have it on like a a circle scale. So it it looks like the Marvel.com profile is ranking it out of seven, which is what they used to do in the nineties with, they really started doing it with Marvel Universe series two. Um, so I think a speed of three, it's like above average. Two is usually the average. Okay. So three is like, you know, above average speed, probably when he's flying. I, I think it's a little bit more nebulous when he's swimming. Okay. 
All right. All right. But yeah, the six, the six strength, that makes sense because he goes toe to toe with the thing and the Hulk and the same with durability. Yeah. I don't know what the energy would be, though. That's weird because like energy is the all energy about like energy weird, projection. Yeah. So, OK, whatever. <laughs> well, I just I, I thought that was very interesting. They have a lot of fun facts on those Marvel ones. So, Mike, this this was 12 issues. This was 12 issues, but the 12 issues didn't just cover the origin. I got fucking God. Don't aren't we glad about that? But can you tell us a few because I've been talking for a while now. Can you tell us about a few of these other kind of team ups or issues? We don't have to go super in depth. Please don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. I mean, like a big thing about this is, like I said, it's a large recap where they're kind of streamlining his origin story to reintroduce him to to, to readers so that they have a, a starting point for where they can go when the new series starts a year later or however long it was. It covers the fact that he hung out with the old time heroes like the Human Torch and Spitfire and Union Jack and Captain America. And they were the original. Was it the Invaders or the Defenders? Can't remember Defenders. which. The Defenders. Yeah. So when they yeah. were the original Defenders fighting in World War II together, they show him fighting alongside the Avengers. They show him fighting against them. They show him, you know, leading Atlantis against the surface world on different occasions. It's weird because it's it's a 12-issue highlight reel. I will say one of the funniest moments is when Daredevil winds up fighting against Namor. And like it's one of those things where i'm like why are you even talking about this name where you literally you beat up a blind guy like (laughs) (laughs) like well and there was that (sighs) one issue that was like i mean you got to have a good issue about the nazis of course so there was like a whole like adolf hitler was there i almost appreciated the ones that were awful because at least it was like interesting in that way for this series and i hate to say that Because I didn't enjoy that one bit, but it was more interesting than some of the swill they had in some of these other. Yeah. The other thing is that they never actually established Namor as a terribly likable individual. He just always is kind of this asshole. And anytime that he's doing the right thing, it seems like he's kind of doing it grudgingly. (laughs) Or he's doing the right thing because it aligns with his haughtiness, with his like righteous indignation. That it just so happens that punishing those who have offended him happens to be punishing those who are doing evil. Maybe he's just a lawful neutral guy. I mm, yeah, I, yeah, he could be lawful neutral. I just always think chaotic neutral is very selfish, um, and kind of switches sides all the time. Lawful neutral. That's fair. I I don't know. I I guess it depends on whose law, huh? Because if you're talking like yeah. Atlantean law. Yeah, but he keeps on getting exiled and shit, so whatever. Like, Well, no, you're fair, you're fair. Maybe it was more chaotic. <laughs> I, I think he's just kind of asshole neutral. Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm switching my character's alignment to asshole neutral in D&D, I decided. Solid. <laughs> Let's get the fuck past these comics. I, we've talked enough about them. Neither of us have a favorite. That's pretty clear. Oh. <laughs> So let's move to Namor's appearance outside of the comics. There was apparently some discussion in the 1950s about doing a live action Submariner show, but that ended up falling through before there was even a pilot written, although they did have a prospective lead actor. 
Do you want to read this excerpt from an interview of Bill Everett conducted by his friend and apparently one-time roommate, Roy Thomas? So side note, is one-time roommate, is that like code? It's (laughs) not. It's not. I thought it was too, and I did so much research, but no, apparently the dude just lived with him for a period of time one time. But it's like a thing that everyone calls out. Sure. Why not? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I was looking for that. I was looking for that undertone too, but I that is not something I could confirm. <laughs> okay. Okay, Thomas. This was also during the time when the Superman show had been very popular. That was probably the influence, Everett. Yes, they figured out that if you could do Superman, you could do it with the Submariner. And it would be different, quite a different thing and different to film and novel. And so they got the money interests. They had Arthur Godfrey backing them money-wise, and they went as far to buy a PT boat and get all kinds of underwater equipment even before they got to business negotiations. They were that sold on the idea of making the pilot. Thomas, did they have a star in mind? Everett. Yes, they wanted to use a Richard Egan. I guess he'd agree to do it. I couldn't quite see it, but that was beside the point. Thank you. And while that live action show didn't happen in the 50s, we did get something else fairly soon afterwards, because in 1966, there was a Submariner animated series that came out. And from what I could find, there are 13 episodes, and Mike and I were able to find and watch some of these. They do really closely follow the style and the look of the comics, and kind of just have a few moving parts in the frames and so the the animation style is super simple yeah so this was the 1966 animated series the marvel superheroes which was broken up into different segments and namor had a segment they were usually aired i think in like seven minute parts i don't quite know all the details about this but i remember watching some of these when i was a kid like in summers and when i was in texas was they had this on vhs and it was you know, some of the limited kid-friendly content the local video store had. Well, friends, I have a treat for us, and I'd like to play for us the intro to the Submariner. God, this fucking theme song. It's awful. Longer than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. God, that fucking that that intro, it's it's so bad. I don't I can't. <laughs> like I heard it so I'm, many times and I just I can't anymore. I was gonna say so many times in a row. Like every time it came on, I was still surprised by how terrible it was somehow. I don't know mm. I don't know why I was shocked every time, but oh and that weird like kind of choral singing that they did in the 60s where they had like oh <laughs> right and that was a huge thing was they have they like the soundtrack stuff they do on this show it feels so very 1960s yeah 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 you can feel the shag carpet between your toes yeah as you're watching this i was like looking for a rake and then i realized i don't even have carpet weird <laughs> so do you want to pitch us the Submariner animated series? I mean, not really. Like, not, <laughs> not at all, but I can. What if at gunpoint I was like, sell this to someone? <laughs> uh, um, 
Do you ever find yourself watching modern television and think, this is great, but I yearn for the good old days. You know, that period when I could watch something with worse storytelling, worse characters, and worse animation. Then boy, do I have the show for you. Travel back to 1966 with this clunker of a cartoon. Marvel at Namor's slow-paced adventures as he navigates two worlds, one above the waves and one below. You'll never have to figure out what's going on since everyone will explain exactly what they're doing and why. Not to mention the omniscient narrator who dictates all the action on screen. So come join us and get ready to regret it. <laughs> I Amazing. I kept on checking out of this sh- series. Like they were 15 minute episodes and away. I kept checking out. I just I couldn't. I would walk. Yeah, that was the thing. I didn't even know I was doing it. I was watching it while I was working and I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to go into the kitchen and grab some more coffee and, you know, cut out. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't need to re I don't need to, to rewind. I can keep going. It's fine. I was literally in the middle of watching an episode and then suddenly I was doing dishes and I was like, how did I get here? <laughs> like blacked out trying to get out of the situation. <laughs> and I, when I went and did dishes instead, that's some drama. If I'm doing house chores instead of watching show and that's the thing is it's weird because it's a superhero cartoon and like i said i i remember watching this on vhs when i was a kid in texas like when i didn't have anything else to do and it kind of entertained me but it's so dated and and it feels really cheap now when you watch it it's really boring from the perspective of someone who watches entertainment today like i know animation was still relatively new to television programming at that point in time as we've talked about it, like, you know, the 50s was when television really became prevalent throughout America, because at the start of the decade, only 9% of households had a TV. And by the end of the 50s, I think they said it was like 90. So, you know, they were they're desperate to come up with content that could entertain people. But these really feel more like motion comics than cartoons, like everything's super static when they can get away with it. And I'm not really familiar with the Namor comics from that era, but the show feels like super Shakespearean, but like in a bad way. Like I That was exactly what I was thinking. Thank you. I yes. like Shakespeare like a, a lot. Like I I have like a 100-year-old book that my honorary parents gave me of his complete works. And a lot of Shakespeare's plays don't feature characters with actual motivations beyond well, the the, the plot requires it. And that's kind of how Namor feels in every episode. Like he's not, he's not really relatable or a likable character. He's this very haughty person who doesn't really feel like there's any deeper motivation driving him. And the other thing is that the language is super formal. And so I don't know who was the target audience for this cartoon because like, (laughs) I can almost guarantee that kids would not be interested in this. They'd be bored. Close thine mouth. (laughs) I mean, Thor comics felt less formal. Which is funny because the vibe of how Shakespearean it was reminded me of how they sometimes have Thor sound. Yeah. It was very much that vibe as well. So I was like, did you just like take this and just ramp it up too high? Like, I think that's what happened. I think they were like, let's go Asgard, but like they need to be their own thing. So maybe they're even more. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like. I don't know. Maybe the well, Globe Theater was part of Atlantis and that's what fell into the ocean deep. I'm trying to think about this, but like period dramas like The Ten Commandments and 
Ben-Hur and Spartacus, those were all pretty big around this era, right? Like that was around the same time frame as like the 50s and 60s. Yes. So I guess it makes sense from a cultural perspective that they would have gone for that. Like they, they needed to have something that would kind of tap into that kind of historical epic vibe without it actually being historical. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, I I agree with you too about like the speaking. It got it got on my nerves. Like just the whole thing. It just got on my nerves. I think that was part of the reason I checked out so hard. And like you said too, the animation, it was super boxy. There would be like one thing moving, like a person's arm would move <laughs> or mm-hmm. like their head would move and it was just like such this weird it would basically be a still image, but then the mouth was moving, and you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was close to being one of those things where it was like, it was just a picture, and it was a live-action mouth. Like, it was so close to that. I honestly feel like they just basically ripped comic panels straight from the books and then just, you know, put them on an animation cell sometimes, because you'll see these figures standing still, and you'll hear dialogue, and then the narrator will sit there and explain something, <sighs> like... So and so lurks in the shadows, and you're like, I can see it on the screen. You don't need to like. <laughs> like did I did I turn on the audio description option on this? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Kids these days are morons. Tell them everything. <laughs> this was in the '60s. They were they were treating our parents like morons. How did that help anything? Now, <laughs> how did that help? This is what they got. This is what we've. This is what we're left with. Yeah, no wonder my dad had no interest in TV when I was a kid. All the TV he had was crap. <laughs> and to, like, okay, I got a bone to pick. Dorma, way too fucking hung up on Namor. Like, girl, chill. Chill. <laughs> but if he leaves, what if he never comes back? Girl, he's, who cares, first of all? Who cares? Whatever. Like, why, why do you care if Namor goes out for a pack of cigarettes and doesn't come back? I don't understand this. Exactly. God, he's your cousin. Like, right. let's like, just find someone who's not your cousin. He doesn't have to be a prince. It doesn't have to get weird like that. No. Well, do you have any final thoughts on Namor before we just finish this bullshit out? You know, I, I can see why he hasn't really caught on with modern audiences. Like, he's not really an engaging character, and... I'm sort of familiar with him in some of the more recent comics because he's played a broader role in a lot of the big arcs over time. But in those stories, he's a dick. <laughs> like, and they yeah. they don't try to sit there and rehabilitate him. They're like, no, he's a ruler, and like he's a ruler of basically an alien nation that has very different motives from the rest of the surface world, and he's born royalty and he's an asshole. And so he's doing stuff for his people as well as for his pride. And I will say that, honestly, he is often very justifiably pissed at humanity for fucking up the oceans. And it's really weird to me how Marvel put out the series in the 80s and they were like, yes, this is how we're going to get people interested in Namor the Submariner. We're not going to update his look. We're just going <laughs> to we're just going to retell his story and we're going to do it in a way that's really not that exciting. No, we're just going to take what was already there and we're going to expand on it far too much. Yeah, you know, like, bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out. Exactly. Well, and his lack of, of maybe gusto maybe was part of the fact that he wasn't all that popular as a character. He kind of fizzles out. 
after yeah. a certain point, because as far as merch, of course, you bet there was. But I was able to dig up some toys in the 80s around the time when not very many, some action figures, very just basic from around the time that uh, this run from the 80s was published. Most of what I found was from the toy boom of the 90s when the 90s name were came out. And so it was more formed around that iteration than it was those classic ones. So there is not a Namor or Submariner film yet. He has not appeared in the the greater MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just yet. Now, now, honestly, there there probably is not going to be a solo film of the MCU with him in it, mainly because his character is owned by Universal. Oh, really? So Marvel, like Marvel and Disney, haven't gotten those rights back yet, huh? Yeah. So mm. it's it's only being allowed use on team ups at this point. And wait, what did I say? Did I say it's only being allowed for use on team ups? Is that what I said? Mm. Oh, well, for those eagle eye Marvel fans out there, you may have spotted an Easter egg. In Avengers Endgame, when the Avengers are meeting and Natasha mentions tremors under the ocean, and if they're being dealt with, and the comment was, we deal with them by not dealing with them. But it did have this point in the middle of the ocean, which was supposed to be where that whatever tremor was coming from. It's around the same place that, quote unquote, Atlantis would probably be based on this lore. So... Maybe you can jump yeah. to that conclusion, you know. Yeah, I've seen hypotheses or I've seen theories going around where they're predicting that Namor is going to be the villain for Black Panther 2. And I know that, that is what I have heard as well. Yeah. And I know that, you know, his 1990 series, the first few issues are spiking in value right now. Like, okay, whatever. It's speculation. We'll see how it plays out. I don't know. I. This set I have from the 80s, they're brand new. Brand yeah. Fucking new. Yeah, I don't know. If they bring him back, it'll be interesting because he's not a terribly interesting character and he's not a very engaging villain. Because especially when he is portrayed as a villain, his motivations are, as time goes on, harder and harder to paint him as the villain. Especially these days where it's like, well, no, he is, uh, he's mad because humanity's killing the planet and that's an undeniable fact. So, mm. Yeah, yeah. So here's another reason why I think that there may be some credence to this. There's currently merch coming out from Hasbro under the Marvel Legends collection, that, and there is a Namor character. Mm. And that's a current Hasbro. Yeah, and that's what a lot of speculators are looking at, too, is they look at stuff that's coming out tied to these different toys. And so I know with the new Doctor Strange movie, one of the action figures that came out is Sleepwalker, who was this kind of cool, weird character from the 90s. And his first appearance, like six months ago, was a dollar comic. And now it's going for 30. And, you know, the thing is, we don't know, maybe. But the thing is, everybody's just guessing about it right now. Yeah, exactly. There, I, I was listening to something. There were some of the Marvel film creators who were doing kind of a watch party for something else and the, they were answering fan questions and a fan asked about the cut scene the, mm-hmm. with the hope the quote-unquote easter egg and the comment was basically let me see if i can phrase this right the comment was sometimes you plant seeds and sometimes they grow 
Yeah. As someone who worked as a creative writer in video games, like I would just write shit because I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. And then months later, I would come back to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a cool thing that I did. Let's build on that and let's see how we can tie it into other things. It's one of those things where right now I'm taking it with a grain of salt. I'm I'm kind of like, yeah. yeah, you know, they're kind of they're hinting at this thing that is larger. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Well, but I think they've got enough. The big thing that they're pushing for right now is the supernatural, because between WandaVision and then Doctor Strange 2, and mm-hmm. then they've got Moon Knight, and then they're going to have Blade, which, oh, I'm so excited about Blade. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I think that's going to be the next big thing that Marvel is going to go for. And then I think if they do bring Namor in, it'll be later. And we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, that is it for our plunge into Namor the Submariner. But join us in two weeks uh, when we submerge ourselves into DC's underwater world of Atlantis to study up on Aquaman. And we'll also talk about some of the ways that these two characters intersected and compare and contrast their abilities, their Atlantis, all of the things we've covered today, we're going to cover them with Aquaman, and then we're just going to tear that shit apart between the two of them. So it's going to be fun. All right, Mike. Well, we're going to move on to our brain wrinkles, which is that one thing, comics or comics related, that we just have stuck in our noggin since the last time we chatted. Go for it, please. Mm. Get us away from the Submariner. Mm. Oh, this isn't going to be any better, is it? No, it's really not. God damn it, Mike. Yeah, I I have been thinking about queer representation under the Disney umbrella lately. This is not better. You're correct. No, it's really not. I mean, so I'm bi and I am partnered with a woman and, you know, she's got kids. And so we seem like a very heteronormative family. So I, I'm one of those straight passing queer people that a lot of other queer people love to hate. But I still... I'm very much part of the community. And I worked at Disneyland when I was in my 20s, where the unofficial census was like that it had a two to one ratio of gay to straight guys working at the park. It's a brand that means so much to so many. And the queer community has really embraced Disney as a whole. But I don't know. We have talked about how Disney is notoriously slow to provide actual, meaningful LGBT QIA plus representation in their TV and films, mainly because they like they want to get their stuff in a international markets like China, which is notoriously hostile towards, you know, queer people. It's something that we've all known about and kind of grumbled for a while, mainly because this company owns so many of the brands that we love. But now we have this like this fucking appalling don't say gay bill that's in Florida, and it turns out Disney's been donating money to state officials supporting the bill and then they kind of declined to stop and Mm -hmm. the blowback's been considerable enough that the ceo bob chapik he basically made a public apology today and like announced that they're pausing all political donations in florida but it's really profoundly upsetting and it reminds me a lot of when i had to deal with my family members who voted for trump and i was trying to get them to understand how hurtful it is that they cast their lot in with a group of people who at best wish people like us don't exist. And I think the really upsetting thing is that these corporations don't do the right thing until the consumers basically get riled up. And I don't understand why it's so fucking hard to do the right thing in the first place. And I don't know 
I don't know what the solution is. And like, normally I'd be like, yeah, you know, I guess I just, I'm not going to give this company money anymore. But the problem is they own so many brands that I love. Like I love Marvel comics. I love Star Wars. I love Pixar. I don't know what the solution is, but it's really upsetting. And I wish, I wish they would do more than just give our community lip service, you know? Yeah. It's incredibly exploitative. You know, they will slap rainbows on anything when it becomes June Mm -hmm. and they want us to give them all of all of the money. Just give us all the money. But what we get in return are these kind of cheap kisses on the cheek that are basically like, they're there. We don't really care about you and just send you out the door. And it's just it's very frustrating. I agree. As somebody who loves Disney and loves all of those same properties as yourself. I mean, I'm the first person to like roll in anywhere with a Marvel shirt on. Like I'm that person. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the other thing is they're notorious for not really taking care of their own people, too. So I guess if they're not going to take care of their own people and pay them a living wage, because I mean, so many Disney cast members that work at the parks are on government assistance because the wages are so low. I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, they're they're too focused on their shareholders, which they shouldn't be. But that's just me. Anyway. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's almost like if we paid people a living wage, we would have less people in the system that everybody seems to complain about. And by everybody, I mean conservatives. Mhm. Yep. When they oh. don't get that most of these people are gainfully, quote unquote, well, they're employed, but not so gainfully because we don't actually pay living wages. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah. So sorry for downer. I was going to say sorry for starting the brain wrinkles on a downer. <laughs> like, sorry about that. But uh, well, hopefully you've got a better one. I have an interesting one because okay. and not only that, it is breaking motherfucking news. So, did you know that the ship that we talked about, the Endurance, it's a real fucking ship. It's a real ship that sank in the Antarctic. I did not know that. It's, they just found it two days ago. Okay. So, it sank. So, what happened was the Endurance, it was a British exploration vessel that ended up getting crushed between two blocks of ice that were converging, and the oh, crew wow. ended up having to leave on foot. Okay. And everybody fucking survived. Like, hmm. they trekked for just, like, miles and miles and miles, but nobody died. So they got everyone out, and the ship just, like, kind of sank. And, 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 so, and since then, it's just been, like, this thing of lore for 107 years. Okay. But just two days ago, they found it and they used the coordinates that were recorded over 100 years ago to find this thing. And the ship was found in pristine condition underwater because it sank straight down to the bottom floor. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And it's going to remain there. They have no plan to bring it to the surface. It's been deemed a historical site. That's really cool, man. Like, yeah. Wow. I heard about that. That was on NPR two days, two days ago. I did not know this, obviously, when we started researching this, because I've had these (laughs) on the docket for a good couple months now. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually at the point now where we're starting to plan out our episodes well ahead of time. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Guys, we plan things. It's weird. (laughs) We're adults. I'm not comfortable. (laughs) We have to plan things. Nothing would happen if we didn't. (laughs) Oh, well, Mike, what do you say we close out for the day? 
Yeah, I think I'm ready to sink back into the icy depths. You know, relax a little. God, do you think Namor would be one of those guys who would say milady? He would. Mm, no, because <laughs> because he's he he's not trying to impress them like with his fedora and his neck beard. He's a very clean shaven oh. dude. I mean, that's fair. You got the no. He's part, right? no Namor is very much the dude who just grabs a woman by the arm and tries to like pull oh. her along with him. Like he's that guy. He's, yeah. He's a guy that pickup artists would really glom onto, like as a, a yeah. prime example of like an alpha male. He's the guy you don't want to be at the gym next to because he's yes. just going to try to spot you when you don't need to be spotted. Correct. And yeah. it's really yeah. awkward because he's not wearing a shirt or shoes. Just that speedo. He's just wearing a speedo with a mermaid print on it. Oh. <laughs> it's real uncomfortable. Oh. Well, folks, I'll tell you what. We'll see you in two weeks for our second part of this aquatic series. We'll talk about Aquaman. But until then, folks, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson. Written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank at www.lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is Tencent Takes. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica has a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen, except Spotify. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.